This is Alyssa Olenek of Little List Fitness. And I'm Kate, otherwise known as Coach Carmichael. We are PhD students, endurance athletes who lift, outdoors enthusiasts, and entrepreneurs. We believe the narrative of the fitness and wellness industry is often far too extreme. So forget about the black and white messages that you've heard. On this podcast, we believe that life is best lived in the messy middle. Welcome back to the Messy Middle Podcast. Today's episode is a part two of our graduate school experience. In part one, we talked about some of those big ticket questions like, how do you know when grad school is right for you? What the application process is like, how you can get funding for your program, and how you ultimately decide what program is best for you. In this episode, we focus more on the while you're in graduate school aspects of managing all of your roles like teaching, research, or just being a student and engaging in coursework. We also talk about how to take constructive feedback, narrow your research scope, pick committee members, and protect your mental health. So without further ado, here is part two. Okay, so let's rewind a little bit though, because a lot of people are asking practical questions about like, how do we create time to write and study and you know, balance, our favorite word, uh, classes, research, and teaching. And I think, of course, in your first year of your master's before you're really diving into thesis work and um, the first couple years of your PhD, when you have, I think, more responsibilities to juggle because of your coursework especially, what are some of the ways that you like practically managed doing everything so that you could um, keep going? And I think there's a little bit of a conversation here that we could have too about healthy things that we did versus things that we would look back and say, maybe that wasn't the best approach or, you know, maybe I really wasn't managing my stress in the right way here. Um, But there's certainly some ways that we did this successfully and some ways we didn't. So maybe you can learn from us. Yeah. So I think that, and this is huge because I wish that everyone who asked me how I quote unquote balance everything saw the transition and how much work I have put in into cultivating better, healthier, like more efficient work habits with graduate school in my life. And so when I first started my master's, I think I remember like burning out really quick. I was working like 60 hours a week studying. Like that's what studying in class and all the things that I was doing. And I was like living off of coffee, sleeping like trash, honestly eating Mm -hmm. like trash. Like I just was like not taking care of myself at all. Um, Felt like hell. And I like, I remember there was like one day I drank like a pot of coffee and ate a full pizza and one and I, it was like when that song, I can't feel my face when I'm with you. And I was like, remember I was like Snapchatting, like I can't feel my face like no. at all. Cause I was like so stressed and high strung, like really, really like, cause I put so much pressure on myself and that was not healthy. And I'm still struggling with imposter syndrome, like a lot at this point in time. And I'm still struggling with that mindset that hard work means burning yourself out kind of thing. Like I really was like, I, I I definitely had that like burnout. And I did that a lot undergrad where like I attributed my hard work to my success rather than like mm-hmm. being efficient. You can be efficient and work hard, but more smart and have just as much payoff. Like almost like you have to like, it's like emotional, like, yeah, that emotional, tr- tr- like a difficulty of like working so hard makes you feel like you're doing the right thing. I want to interject here because I think it's so important to emphasize this because Yeah, I think a a lot of graduate students and just high achievers in general, we make the mistake of believing that 
something being difficult means that we're doing it right, right? Like the harder it is, the better student I am. Like the the more emotionally distraught I am or like the more I sacrifice my sleep and my eating and my exercise, the more I make sacrifices, the better I'm doing, the more superior student I am because I'm willing to make those sacrifices. But turns out you're probably a lot better off taking a healthier approach to things because you're going to be more efficient. And I think efficiency gets really um, a lot less praise than overworking yourself does because yeah. it's, it seems more glorious that you stayed up all night to finish that paper than um, you decided to go to sleep and just do the best that you could, right? So yeah, it's 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 like it's that overwork Olympics that happens in graduate yes. school, and I'm just not interested in participating in it, in it anymore because like <laughs> eventually you're gonna crash. So I can mm-hmm. I focus more on like a sustained intensity that works well with giving me room for the things that I care about in my life. Then the yeah. and there's definitely weeks or days where you're like, I mean, I'll have days here and there where I work 12, 14, 15 hours a days, but that's not like I'm doing that every single day of every single week. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. where the next day I might work four hours. Like, and I don't think people really get that. Like in graduate school, because you feel like you need to be working 12 hours a day every single day, but it's going to be a lot more of an ebb and flow. Some weeks are easier, some weeks are harder. Some days you work longer, some days you don't. And that like can feel really confusing when you transition from undergrad to graduate school, where like you realize that like you can have a whole Tuesday afternoon off, but you might study all day Saturday. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it's very like hard to conceptualize that that doesn't mean that you're a failure kind of thing and you don't even have to work on weekends or you can have hobbies or interests or you can take care of your health like it's not cool to neglect your health for the sake of productivity like it's not cool and I I think that that people not I mean like not cool in the sense like people think that it's like a badge of honor where they'll like overdo Mm -hmm. what is necessary just to feel like it's superior yeah when it's like goes above and beyond yeah, I totally agree with all of that. And I, I think uh, what you mentioned was really good about like, oh, I might take a Tuesday off here, but work all day Saturday. I think when it comes to uh, finding a good approach for you in graduate school, managing everything, it's going to be individualized. We talk about this a lot on the podcast. Like we can't give you an exact answer because it's going to look different. I mean, it looks different between me and Alyssa and between uh, whoever's listening, you know. So when it comes to creating your own schedule, you do have to play a little bit of like, detective and figuring out what really gives you the most efficiency but lets you enjoy life outside of your PhD because I think having that you know external identity like Alyssa for you it's been your business uh recently I got a dog so (laughs) but it's kind of like you have to find same thing (laughs) you have to find these areas outside of your PhD to um you know help you manage your identities and we've talked about this before where you don't want to put all of your energy into one bucket because when that bucket starts leaking <laughs> I don't know if that's the analogy we use but it's you can't manage it that way if you spread yourself um a little bit better between your identities that's going to be helpful so finding what you like to do when you like to do it uh when your brain works better so some people find that they work better in the morning like so they might dedicate an hour or two to just do their writing in the morning um some people find that they do better in the evening they feel more creative so they choose to work on you know, developing methodologies or whatever, uh, writing in their little research journal (laughs) um, in the evenings because that's what feels good to them. So some of it is finding out what actually works for you as an individual. And we can't give you that even though we can just give you our personal experiences. 
I think it's important to add too that you can never at any point in time get married to one working system because what happened to mm-hmm. me, and I realized this, this has been a huge learning thing for me, especially this year, pandemic PhD taught you a lot. Um, I used to be, my master's, I would sleep until like eight or nine every day and I wouldn't get into work until like nine, right? Yeah. And I would stay up later and I would sometimes stay up t- like till one, two, three in the morning studying working, but I would sleep in more. I had m- less of a routine and it mm-hmm. really messed with my day and like I would train later at night. And so- as I got into my PhD, I mean, I do metabolism research. So I started having to wake up in the mornings and like, mm-hmm. I mean, Kate can talk more about like adjusting your natural clock. And obviously like I know where my body prefers to be, but I realized as much as my body wants to sleep in a little bit later, I got really, really good. My, maybe my second year where like, because I was teaching and having and trying to work out and do all that stuff. The only time of the day that I had for myself to focus on research or writing or data analysis is I would go to a Starbucks that opened at 6am. I'd be there at 5.50 on the dot every single morning. And I would write until 9am because from six to nine, that was for me. I could push that aside for me. No one needed me. There was nothing that was critically important. I could just write, work and focus. And that was a system that worked really well for me for a very long time. I knew the three coffee shops, they opened at six, six thirty seven based off the task I needed to do that day I would go there till about nine and then I would have class or teach or something at like 10 or Mm -hmm. like whatever it was and I found that system but then I got caught up in this idea where like I could only write or I could only work at a coffee shop or in the mornings and that got busted out of the water Mm -hmm. um and I've learned that like it's not a matter of you can work at any time of day you just have to get yourself to focus at the because sometimes things need done and it's not ideal yeah. and if you get too committed to like oh I can only write at 6 a.m then you might end up like never get anything done if something with life changes or it's crazy or the location or whatever so I think for me a lot of this year has been a lot more of well it needs to get done so I need to figure out when and mm-hmm. finding ways to create that feeling of like what I need to focus and get dialed mm-hmm. in and get things I need to get done efficiently um so sometimes I will still get up in the morning and work and then sometimes I I, I will go to my office not until 11 a.m and then I will write until 5 p.m or sometimes I come home and I'll write for a few hours just sitting on my living room floor and it's being able to just figure out what helps you get working is going to be Mm -hmm. the biggest thing. Because I think the hardest thing in grad school is that this might not be fun for a lot of you to hear because I do the same thing. You waste a fuck ton of time doing nothing. (laughs) You waste a fuck ton of time transitioning and you waste a ton of time procrastinating things. And I will like anxiety procrastinate things. Like I'll like stress procrastinate things um, where like they take me two seconds. And if I can just get myself to like just start doing something, you usually can cascade Mm -hmm. that into doing more things. Um, because you have a ton of time in grad school and a lot of people like they'll be like, Alyssa, how do you do so much? This and that, blah, blah, blah. Because they'll go to work at 8 a.m. and stay till 8 p.m. But they'll walk around. They'll talk to their office mates. They'll do things where I'll come in and do my research and then I will go to the gym and they'll go to a coffee shop and I'll do my shit. So it's like you probably have a lot of transition time during your day that you're just wasting doing yeah. things that are like scrolling on the Internet or mindless. And I'm not saying I don't scroll on the Internet because my business is the Internet, but realizing that like one – I can focus from anywhere at any point in time. I just have to kind of get myself – I have to force myself to work to get the momentum and like Mm -hmm. kind of work with my stress and anxiety around tasks, which is very real in graduate school. Um, Kate probably knows more about that stuff than me. That's (laughs) like a normal thing I think every graduate student can relate to. But then also recognizing when I'm just kind of screwing around and wasting time that I could be doing on something else or being more efficient when I do work – it's not always perfect, but I really do try when I actually do focus work. I try to zero distraction, hardcore get that stuff done and then go on to the other things that I care about, like working out or 
I have a business, right? You know what I mean? So like I try to like, it's hard for me because I'm squirrely. So I really, really try to control my work time as much as I can to be as focused yeah. as I can to be as efficient as I can. Sorry if that was like long winded to explain all that. Um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of like practical stuff that we can pull from that and that I'll add to because um, I had a similar experience where like I had a really structured uh, schedule at first, especially my master's, because we actually had night classes. So from 6.30 to like 9.30 p.m. is when I was in class. So I had the day um, and I was a teaching assistant. So I would teach courses. And then in between those classes that I was teaching, then I could do um, my school stuff and then, you know, study or be in class at night, uh, wake up and do it again the next day. So it was really structured that way. Um, but of course, when you get to your PhD, um, or when I, this was just my experience with my PhD, is that the classes that you teach and the classes that you take are all interlaced in the day. And so it's harder to create that separation. So like when, you know, it, your body loves to have like a routine. So it would be, it would be great if I could just say, okay, every single day, this is the time that I write. This is the time that I take classes. This is the time that I teach. This is the time that I study, you know? So mm -hmm. that would be the ideal thing. But like Alyssa said, you have to be able to, to be flexible. And so developing that flexibility is really important. I think the environment is one of your like number one practical ways to create a like focus area um, or, you know, so that any time of the day, if you're in this particular environment, you associate that with work. And what I see, and I've done this before too, but the, like the biggest problem with people trying to focus on a particular task is they say, okay, the coffee shop is the place where I go and that's where I get work done. Um, but they have one day where they're really just not feeling good about working. And so instead of working at the coffee shop, they watch an episode of Netflix or they like scroll through their emails or on social media. And then you've soured that location with uh, non-work activities. So my biggest advice is like finding a place where you can do work. And if you, if you really can't bring yourself to work, leave that place. Don't sour it. Like make it that strong association of this is the place that I work. Um, and that's been so helpful to me. Like I, I had spots in my master's where I did my writing. For me, it's like somewhere under a big window where I can like glance out at some trees. That's lovely. Um, that's like how I work and write best. I thrive on sunshine. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's why I actually – so for me, I don't work well in my office because there's not a window. And so – I know that about me. So luckily my advisor doesn't expect me to be in the actual office. I can go and find somewhere that has that, that type of space that I need. So I think number one is identifying an environment that's really good for you to work in and not soiling it with other activities. And then the second would be uh, for Alyssa, she likes to um, just get started. Just do anything that's on your to-do list to get started to like ease you into it. Because sometimes if you just think of the biggest, scariest thing that is on your to-do list today it creates procrastination city because you're so worried about it that you'd rather that feeling go away. So you numb it with, you know, doing other tasks. And um, some people this is really helpful for, but others, it, it doesn't um, encourage them to get to the hard thing that they need to. So there's another technique that's called eat the frog, where you do the hardest thing first, and then that way you can sail through the rest of your day. So it really depends on who you are. I, I share the same with Alyssa where I work better if I just get started because I have anxiety and I can procrastinate. But for some people, it's more just like they need that thing to get out of the way so that they can relax a little bit the rest of the day. So figure out if you're an eat the frog person or if you need to like easier way into it. That's a really good tip. And I think it depends also. I think it's important to recognize in grad school is that that depends on the task. You know what I mean? Like that 100% mm -hmm. depends on the task at hand, the type of day. And when it comes to your day-to-day -day life, 
I like calling it scheduling for the seasons. Your schedule and your structure and your routine will not be the same semester to semester or even month to month because things change. It's like, so right now I'm not in a research testing cycle because I'm because of the pandemic. I can't do any research this semester, but I'm in a big writing cycle. So that's so different than what my life looked like a year ago. And it's going to look like in a couple of months. So you kind of have to learn what works for you in a way that you can structure it so that you always know. And usually once I, when I start to create a new structure, it's a little awkward at first, but I try to keep my days of the week at least the same. Because obviously your Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Tuesday, Thursday are almost always different. Graduate school, sometimes classes are just one day a week. So it's I try to find routine in the days. And I yes, try to, yeah. I'm a big proponent of, I don't think I don't think you block schedule, Kate, as much as I do. But I yeah. block schedule everything in Outlook Calendar. That's the email system that UGA uses. And I my gym only offers open gym at two different times and I do my one-on-ones, but I schedule my one-on-ones with my coach every single week, no matter what, that's when we're going. I don't care. Like I I fit it into my schedule, but every single week that's, that's a non-negotiable. It's scheduled. It's on my calendar. And then when it comes to my open gym times, which if you guys go to commercial gyms, like, or whatever, you know what times you can work out and maybe more fluid, but I know that I need to either be at my gym at 10 o'clock or 1.15. It's one or the other. I have to be there. And if something comes up a day where I cannot do anything, I'll move that workout to another day of the week if I have to. But it's I try my best to like keep my non-negotiable scheduled, but that also includes writing time. Yeah. So when I'm both teaching and researching and busy, like if I know I have a Thursday morning that's completely off, I will my PI knows I won't be in. And he's very cool about me going to coffee shop. He doesn't care as long as I work best, but I will literally put in my calendar a big block of time that says write bitch. Like that's like what I'll put into it. So on days where I have a bunch of research and teaching and class obligations, I don't expect myself to do big daunting tasks those days. So sometimes days like when I was teaching and in classes and doing research, if I knew I had class and teaching that day, I would sometimes schedule like two participants that morning or a big testing session because that's a lot different cognitive activity than having to be focused on statistical analysis or writing. So I try to like I try to control my days as much as I can that align with that day. So if I can, like, it's not always this way, but like Kate and I just requested our teaching for next semester. I asked if I could teach one of the labs that I have to teach on the same days that I'm teaching lecture because I know on days I teach mentally, I can't really transition as well into other things. So I'll do days like I'll grade or do emails or small tasks, maybe data entry, very mindless stuff that doesn't take a ton of energy on those days. So I'm still moving the ball forward. But then if I have a day off or a full afternoon off or whatever it is, those are the days where I will schedule those bigger things. And I also will not always, I don't always work eight to nine hour days or whatever the traditional thing is like I'm very well known for like I might work five days on a Tuesday but then three hours on a Saturday and two on a Sunday we're are all like I tend to work really heavy and hard on Mondays for some reason I don't know why I always have really good work days on Mondays but then the rest of the week it's kind of steady and I'll end up usually taking an afternoon off here or there but then I always work on the weekend so it really is something that like I figure out what works for me and I know I don't work best with consistent long block days back to back to back. I don't thrive that way. I work a lot better if I work and then I'll take a break and go work out and then I'll come back and work. So I either work like two half days or little chunks of time across the day. It's never really one big consistent thing more than maybe once or twice a week. So it's definitely something where I work with what works for me and I schedule myself around that. So I'm still always doing something. I'm always moving the ball forward, but it's working with what is the easiest thing for me to do on those days and scheduling it around that. Yeah, I love the word energy for that that you used, um, and and cognitive demand. You could think of it either way if you want to get real sciency with it. But um, <laughs> if you really just think about like, okay, this particular activity takes a lot of energy out of me. Like for me, it's teaching. Teaching takes way more energy out of it. Part of it is because I'm an introvert and I have to be extra 
do an extroverted type of task, right? Um, so when I know that there's particular things in my schedule that take a lot of energy out of me, right, I'm not going to also schedule like a giant block to do data analysis that also takes a lot of energy about me. So it's working with the ebb and flow of like, okay, if I have this really big energy sucking task, I'm going to pair it with something that, like you said, moves the needle forward, but isn't going to like make me feel completely overwhelmed and unable to continue. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like there's no sexy way of explaining. I really do hate when people ask me how I balance it all because I really just do adapt the mindset of uh, it all gets done. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter when or how, but it gets yeah. done. It's not always the perfect. It's not always pretty. It's not always exactly. I, I definitely thrive under my routine, but sometimes it really does come down to just like, okay, well that sucked, but this task absolutely needs to be accomplished. And today mm-hmm. is one of those days where you know, that I, where I say harmony over balance, this might be a day or a week where that that swings higher and other things go down. But then next yeah. week usually reflects a compensation of a lower. Workload, yeah, I think that's know? a good point, too, is like so I'm in preparations for comps. This next week is going to be insane for me. I'm going to be studying and doing way more than I've been doing. Um, but the week after, I'll be able to take more time for myself and really um, emphasize my self-care and other things to de-stress, de-load, um, all of the work that I will do this next week. So yeah, harmony over balance. If if my, I mean, I think everyone has this like idealistic picture that, well, if I just study for my comps two hours every day for the month leading up to it, and then I can balance my schedule perfectly every day, but then life hits you and it doesn't work like that. I mean, that's just not, not been my experience. Um, so that's why we always emphasize that like balance is bullshit is because for us, at least in our personal experiences, it doesn't look like, the same type of day every day. And honestly, your schedules, especially in that that first and second year of your PhD, don't allow for you to have the same type of schedule every day. So that's just not been what works for us. It's like push time and relax time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I call it the moving the moving priority to-do list. So mm-hmm. your, your, your to-do list will always have the items it has on it, but the priority will shift. And sometimes something gets put on your to-do list that you didn't plan for, that that becomes a top priority. So an example was mm-hmm. last week, I was in the middle, I was just about to finish writing my proposal and my PI got my manuscripts edited back to me. And he said, I think these are more important. You should do these before you finish your proposal. And so I was like, Okay, so I had to mentally transition out of proposal mindset into manuscript mindset um, in order to get that done. So it pushed back that fake deadline that I had for myself, but I couldn't beat myself up for it because I reprioritized something that was more important in the moment. And so I think that's important with grad school is recognizing that sometimes things fall. So I think everyone thinks that you have it together all the time. And I'm like, for me, mm-hmm. bottom priority is putting my laundry away. I literally don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Yep. Like I will not put that away for a week. It's not important to me. Um, whereas like getting something done and off my plate might be of greater importance, but then I might have a day where I don't do any schoolwork and I just take care of all my human tasks that I put off of mm-hmm. um, to make me feel better and whole again. So it's not perfect. It's messy. But it, I think it's important to recognize that it's a season of life and there's semesters of life. So where mm-hmm. you're going to have you're going to have these two to three month pushes. And then usually over Christmas, I mean, Regis and I like we go home, we travel, we visit family, like we'll work mm-hmm. a little bit here and there. But the, the pressure, pressure and stress is so much lower and you kind of recover during that. It's kind of like peaking, peaking, peaking for a race, running it and then yeah recovering after like it's it's very much so similar to that so wait I want to quickly share a story of how um I did not balance or harmonize my life well because I you know I think a lot of people believe that we have it all together but you know if you do believe that it's because we made a 
fuck ton of mistakes getting there. Or um, the reality is that we're, we're just doing the best that we can, right? Um, and, and what you see on the internet, of course, is not going to reflect uh, what our real life looks like day to day. Um, especially when I get on the internet as a PhD student, sometimes you follow other students and you'll see them like share their to-do list and their days. And I know as somebody who struggled with mental health and has had days where you just really like motivation is not even a word to describe, <laughs> like, you know, having no motivation, but, um, you know, you can get caught up in seeing somebody's to-do list and being like, oh my gosh, they got all that stuff done. But what they don't show you is the next day that they don't do anything or, you know, so I, I really encourage you to like take everything that we're saying with a grain of salt and what you see on social media with a grain of salt, because our, like we're trying to emphasize our days really fluctuate and the way that we spend our time fluctuates. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean we're not taking rest and really caring for ourselves and all of that. So fun, fun story about how I did not manage all of that well, though. In my master's degree, I was doing a sleep uh, restriction study. So I had my participants only sleep for four hours, and then they had to come in when they woke up. Um, so I would be in the lab really early morning to test them, and I would be up late trying to text everyone to make sure they didn't fall asleep <laughs> when they weren't supposed to um, because they had to like stay up and restrict their sleep. So I'd be like making sure my participants weren't falling asleep or I'd be in the lab like trying to analyze um, because I had EEG data. So it took me a little bit longer to go through that. And I was on a you know pressure for um, trying to graduate on time. So for a while, I was really stressing myself out. I, I did 75 participants um, with this protocol and I could only test like a few a day basically um, because I had to set their different wake times. So I was staying up really late and waking up really early. So of course I wasn't sleeping well and I was not being the sleep queen that you know me to be now. Um, and I was really just not taking care of myself. I didn't feel like I had time to cook. So I was like getting food delivered to me that was like, of course, not going to be as fulfilling and nutritious, like nutritious as something I would make. Um, so I just really, and I really wasn't exercising as much as I should either. Um, all of that accumulated for me. I remember going home for Thanksgiving break and it's the first time that I was able to relax for a moment. And we had, um, I was at my uh, future in-laws house with Peter and they had a bunch of people over for Thanksgiving and I could not stay awake. I literally slept the entire day of Thanksgiving with a house full of people <laughs> because I was so exhausted from all of the pressure that I was putting on myself and my body. And so I just want you to know that I have been there. I've done those stupid mistakes. I have pulled all-nighters and I am the person who now prioritizes sleep the most, right? So I want you to know that we've been there and we've done stupid stuff. Um, and it's because that we've done that that we learned that we never want to experience life that way again and that we've now figured out a better way to be in harmony or you could call it balance, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. And I will say that there's going to be moments in grad school where you – you almost have to cross that line of what feels like a healthy work balance. You kind of have to be a little bit of a workaholic or you have to push harder than is maybe sustainable. But the goal should be that's not a long period of time. And yeah. other things do go away. I mean, last year I did a really unhealthy thing where I tested a participant every single day for 35 days straight. Not not best. I wasn't in the great headspace after that. But I didn't do anything. I didn't write. I, didn't, I barely did anything. All I did was test. I just tested 
taught, I wasn't teaching. So luckily I was, didn't have that, but I knew that was not healthy and sustainable. And like, Mm -hmm. even my advisor, he was like, Hey, I've been looking at your calendar. Uh, are you good? But I do menstrual cycle research. So participants will get their period and then I have to test them. And I'm like, well, uh, yeah, this is a thing. And I survived it, but I know now looking forward that that was not healthy and I will be a lot more cautious about that. So there's definitely moments that you're going to be living in them and you're going to be like, okay, this really sucks. I really overdid myself. I really need to not do this in the future. And you really just have to get through it or Mm -hmm. start saying no to everything else. And that's what's something I've had to learn to a lot is that I will say yes to everything and I will overdo it. And like, I'm in control of the pace at which my research happens, which feels really high pressure for me. So I'll overdo it with myself. Um, But like, I'm scheduling those people. I'm in charge of my schedule. Like they don't dictate my life instead of being like so desperate for anyone to ever do my study where it was Mm -hmm. like almost, it was unhealthy at that point. And I wake up at like 3.34 in the morning when I have to test participants. So, I mean, I was getting, I getting slow sleep though truly and Kate knows this about me this is like as Kate's the pro sleep person but like I really am so good about I will get a little less good sleep because I'll stress out when I have to wake up early for participants but that is the only thing that really keeps me going no matter how busy or stressed things go is I as much as I can fight for it I will sleep as much as I can and or I'll do things where like if I have to wake up really early one day I'll let myself sleep I don't get up just as early the next day like I'll let my sleep self sleep in an extra hour or whatever I need yeah. that day um and I'll get up at like 6 30 instead of like 4 30 in the morning <laughs> so I definitely like there's a lot of building in grace and letting yourself get little bits of recovery when you are in those phases that it does it's not fun you're it's not you know you're not going to be in the best headspace because you're going to be very stressed but letting yourself like feeding myself well and continuing to move my body and sleep no matter how bad things get Mm -hmm. really does make a difference and how you handle it if you can sustain that because I've been where I've fed myself like shit trash my sleep schedule and stop working out and I end up just feeling way worse worse. way worse Yeah. yeah and I think there's this belief that if you're you take all of these like things off of your plate like exercise where you just sleep less then you'll be able to like push through faster and like get the thing over with. Um, and I know now from doing this multiple times in my life that that's, that's a fallacy. That's a lie. And I actually do better when I'm able to keep my self-care stuff in place, you know? And I, and I actually will say I'm more productive. I mean, there's, there's like, I mean, you know, there's a tipping point of this, but the more I do, I'm more, I'm productive. And I mean that in a way where like having my workout scheduled and structured and in my mm-hmm. life actually allows me to be more productive. So people know that I just, if you're listening to this, we're recording this right after I raced my hundred K that month of my peak training, because I knew I had to get my shit done for school in order to like because the training and racing is a choice on my behalf but in order for that to not tip into what I need to get in school which was a choice at any point in time I knew I could have said no you know what I mean like I knew that the whole time I was doing it that was a choice but I was more productive that month because I had so much structure but also I knew that the work that I needed to do for my school stuff when I did it needed to be efficient that I was actually more productive than during my taper when I had nothing to do because I lost Mm -hmm. that structure entirely in that movement and like that was that was like a catalyst of like, I actually have been less productive the last two weeks where I've been in recovery and taper because I don't, I don't have that. Obviously there's a fine balance, right. Between overworking yourself, but having healthy structure and healthy outlets and like other things that are good for your brain and body that allow you to be more productive. So like feeding myself well and moving my body and sleeping well, literally are productivity hacks. Like, like I, those are my productivity hacks. So sure. Yeah. And I think, um, when it comes to like scheduling or uh, you mentioned blocking time really quickly and in passing. And I do want to say I'm a fan of blocking time. I think 
right now. I don't uh, do that as much as as I have in the past, um, especially during my master's. I think I was the queen of blocking time. But um, Deep Work by Cal Newport is going to be my book suggestion for this. Not only does he talk about how to block time for those really heavy tasks like writing or um, something where you really need a lot of cognitive effort for, um, but he also talks about how to man- manage what he calls shallow work that are like those other tasks like checking emails and, and doing those like administrative type things that kind of get in the way of your focus and are important, but maybe not as pressing as those big um effortful work tasks that you need. So I highly recommend that book if you're looking for like, how do I really schedule myself? How do I get myself to sit down and and write for a couple hours on end? You know, how do I really focus? Like that book is going to be my highest recommend um, for working like that. So before we like switch uh, topics to narrowing our research interests and, um, you know, picking committee members and that kind of thing, is there anything left on work structure and like managing your self-care or anything like that that you want to mention the only thing i will say that has helped me that i've used i don't use them consistently it's hard for me drawing more boundaries with my phone and stuff is harder because of my business so i've had Mm -hmm. to work on my mental relationship with that more so than like some people have like an emotional relationship with social media where like mine's like the fine line of productivity versus self-destruction because my business is ran from my phone but things that i do do that do help with a kind of time what you're talking about like i I haven't read the book i probably should um i will leave my phone in my car i will put my phone in another brad stolenberg is like a big author too that writes a lot about this stuff on like Mm -hmm. productivity and being passionate and stuff but like leaving my phone in my car leaving it in my like i'll leave it in my car and go to my office like i'll lock it in my car in the parking lot um going like leaving it in another room. I've done s- large seasons of life where I need a lot of mental effort in the morning. Well, I will not touch my phone. I will not open social media. I won't do anything okay. until I like I I create before I consume. That was a big thing I did yes, for me, especially because yeah. writing is a big academic struggle for me. So I wouldn't let anyone else have my time at all until I had written. Like that was a rule in my day. Um, I have all my notifications turned off on everything on my phone. I when I'm writing, I don't let emails, text, or um. Like I close all the apps on my computer. So there's like not notifications. Like I literally, because especially I'm a highly accessed person, keep in mind, I also like from students, but research participants and Mm -hmm. I run a business. So it's, I'm completely isolating myself and protecting myself from those things has been huge for me. And there's times where like, I really do like, I like just completely remove any because you're as soon as you have a ping, you'll be distracted, right? Exactly. So it's about keeping that focus and like not even opening your email or opening your DMs or looking at your social media until you've done the task that you need to. That's like the biting yeah. the frog, and I'll do that for really big things, um, or really hard pushes. Um, but then like I change those rules day to day depending on what the other tasks that I have to do. So for keeping sure. that in mind that you might need to like make some hard rules for yourself for certain things that are harder for you to do than others. Yeah, and um that. Totally, you're right on board with Cal Newport's messaging, so you would probably enjoy it, but it would probably just uh, reinforce everything that you're already doing. Uh, Cal Newport also writes about, uh, there's a whole other book, I haven't read it because I personally don't struggle with wanting to be on social media, um, and it's kind of funny that I do Coach Carmichael because I actually... I would prefer to to never be on social media. Um, I he's think, the one. He's the guy that doesn't believe in social media at all, right? I think I've listened to his podcast. Yeah, almost interviews um, before. Yeah, so there's definitely some extremes with this, and I know that a lot of people really value the connectivity uh, with social media, and that's great if you do. Um, but he does have a whole book on it. If you want to at least 
read an opposing opinion and get that mindset shift maybe that helps you find a balance um, or like a middle ground, right? The messy middle of, you know, using your phone when you want to, but also like setting rules, like Alyssa said, where you don't have it, you turn off your notifications, you don't leave your email inbox open while you work, please don't, Uh, (laughs) you know, so that you can set that time for yourself and really keep, you know, other people from bombarding your focus time because it does like that ping. You think it's just a brief moment, but your mind has already traveled somewhere else and it takes a while to really get back into it so yeah yeah distraction for working my, my last i'm squirrel brain so i've really trained myself on how to manage my squirrel brain <laughs> that's, that's my sure. secret honing yes. in the squirrel agreed okay so our last like big topic for graduate school is kind of narrowing down what you want to spend your time researching like what your thesis or your dissertation is going to be um and if you're not in a research track um you could also kind of think about this as a lot of people have specializations so if you're in the medical field right there's like oh well i'm going to be this specialized type of doctor or whatever so how do you niche down um and then when it comes to working on your dissertation or thesis how do you choose committee members that are going to facilitate um you know your work in those areas yeah yeah so i always like because i know people get really stressed about this and really hung up on this is that don't worry about figuring out what you do like worry about figuring out what you hate or you don't like or will not fulfill what are your you. non-negotiables yeah like yeah like what doesn't bring you joy so when i was in my master's i remember struggling with this i really liked strength and conditioning like fitness based stuff like i was really into powerlifting so like it, it made logical sense that i was like interested in that stuff it was a hobby and an interest but that was more of a hobby right and i realized because the work that got me really excited um was physiology. I really like physiology, but I learned that I hated biomechanics. I wanted nothing to do with biomechanics. <laughs> I literally would rather like there's nothing wrong with biomechanics. People are very intelligent that use it, but it was just not exciting for me. And so I did an internship at the Pittsburgh Neuromuscular Research Lab and that was a very biomechanics EMG like type based lab, mm-hmm. injury, rehab, stuff like that. And it's cool research, but it didn't get me excited. You know what I mean? Like I just realized yeah. like, okay, I don't, I wouldn't be happy doing that. And so what I did actually, I went to conferences like ACSM and my master's or like other labs or things like that. And I would just go around and I would like look at people's posters and I'd be like, that doesn't excite me. That I would just pay attention to what excited me and didn't excite me. And like, you already know, right? You already kind of have an idea. So I first I figured out what I didn't like, because I think the biggest thing people forget is that if you're in a field, there's probably a lot of things that you could do that you'd be fulfilled with or happy with or enjoy. Right. So like I could do a lot of other types of research and just be as excited about them or nerd out about them or enjoy doing them as I do with metabolism and like everything that I'm doing. But there's other avenues I could have gone down and been just as excited. And I think it's important to recognize that the work you do in your PhD, if you do continue to go into academia, isn't necessarily a death sentence of what you're going to research for the rest of your life. Because if I Mm -hmm. stay in academia, like my postdoc will almost drive that more. And then once you're a professor, it can change. Like, I mean, Dr. Jenkins has been a great role model for that for me, which is changing careers and views and things as you go. You're not going to be the same person and locked into that your entire life. Professionals change their niche and modes all the time. You just have to find, like this, this rule applies to your PI, and I said this already, but also your research. You have to find something that you can at least tolerate and enjoy and get you excited on the days that you hate it. Because you're going Mm -hmm. to be married to your project. You are married to this information. You're going to get sick of looking at it, but you're going to be a lot more fulfilled if you're trying to work on something that deep down inside you actually care about and you think is important and gets you excited. Then if it's something like if I was in a biomechanics lab getting my PhD, I would be like double whammy 
stressed about everything. Right. I wouldn't <laughs> like I wouldn't enjoy what I'm reading or learning or writing about. Like I wouldn't be as excited about it. So yeah. I think like I always just tell people like figure out what you don't like, and then r- go and like there's probably a lot more things that you would be happy at doing than you think. There's no one perfect research interest. I think that's really important to acknowledge. There's not one perfect research interest. There's just something that will excite you and be important to you for this short period of time. The Messy Middle Podcast will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high quality supplements when dosed appropriately can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year, and after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed by what the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge, because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. You guys are always asking me, Liz, what the heck do you do on your long runs? And Kate has recently converted me to Audible. With Audible, I'm able to combine my two favorite pastimes, running and learning. If that isn't the most Alyssa thing, I don't know what is. I know, right? So Audible has helped carry me many, many miles with audiobooks and podcasts. And the best thing about it is I'm able to download them directly to my phone and listen to them while I'm offline running through the woods in the middle of nowhere with no cell service. And since I have a reading list approximately as high as I am tall, there's no other way I'd be able to consume so much with how busy I am. That's exactly why I love Audible. I've been a member for years now because I honestly cannot read enough books if I have to sit down to read them all. Audible has been a godsend because I can listen to audiobooks while I'm cooking, working out, or walking my pup Rocky, but my favorite way to use Audible is as I'm going to sleep, and you guys. I recently found out that Audible has bedtime stories narrated by none other than Nick Jonas and Tony Shalhoub, who you may know as the character Monk. Their voices are like so perfectly sultry and like they really guide you off to sleep. It's incredible. So every month, members get one credit to pick any title, no matter the cost, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digest and guided meditation programs, dare I say, by no other than the Pete Diddy himself. If that doesn't scream littlest meditation, I don't know what does. The Audible app is available on all smartphones and tablets, and you can download titles to listen offline anywhere and anytime. You can start listening today with a 30-day trial. You get one title plus two Audible originals for free when you visit audibletrial.com slash messymiddle. That's audibletrial.com slash M-E-S-S-Y-M-I-D-D-L-E. Okay, absolutely. So um, I'm 
also going to plug David Epstein's book, Range. I've done it before on this podcast. And if you weren't convinced before, I'm really going to try to hammer it home for you now. Because I also second this, even though I still have the third of it left. <laughs> it's so good, though. It just really frames things really well. And I, the way that I like the book, too, is that he puts it in stories. So it, it's not just a book that tells you what to do. Um, it's a book that gives you stories and lets you draw your own conclusions, which I love. Um, and my biggest lesson from that book and from from working, like really, Range is just solidified the beliefs that I've come to develop is that I used to feel like I had to make this really big life altering decision and choose the one thing that I was going to do for the rest of my life. Right. Um, because I think that there, there's this belief that a lot of us can have about like, okay, well, if I make this decision and I go on this path and I find out that I don't really like it, then I have wasted my time. Right. That's the belief is that we've wasted time. And if we change tracks that we're going to be falling behind. And I want to emphasize what Alyssa even said earlier is that everything that you do in your PhD is giving you lessons learned, um, knowledge in your, you know, in your, what's the word I'm looking for? Your life toolbox. Yeah. Literally. Your toolbox. Yeah. Right. Like uh, it's, it's something that you are going to have forever and that's not taken away from you. So David Epstein really phrases like, what feels good to you right now? And that's how I've been approaching my PhD. And I also want to mention um, that, you know, sometimes you might feel like you have these aha moments, like, oh my gosh, this is the thing that I want to do. Um, and sometimes what happens is you stumble and you figure out that there's like a lot of logistical issues with that. A lot of us develop these like really grandiose research ideas when we're a young researcher and we realize that there's a lot of things that aren't feasible about what we wanted. And so don't get hung up on the idea that like you found your one magical thing and you j just can't do it, right? Um, because you can create and develop a passion for a lot of topics. Um, so if you just start in a place from like, okay, what doesn't make me feel good? So let's get rid of that. What feels good to me right now? And um, if I have to compromise a little bit, let's figure that out. So I'll also share my personal experience because I am doing um, a type of research project. I'm, I'm doing napping and athletic performance. But when I came to UGA, I really wanted to work on um, anxiety and sleep because obviously you guys know I have a passion for talking about anxiety. If you haven't listened to any of my Coach Carmichael chats, they're basically all about it. So um, I really wanted to work on improving sleep through mind-body exercises um, as a byproduct of reducing or your sleep is improved by a byproduct of reducing your anxiety. That's that's what I really wanted to work on. Um, it's That's a really complicated type of project. And um, my advisor really nudged me in the direction of sleep and athletic performance. And so when you hear me say that, like, I'm just not as, you know, thrilled with what I'm doing research-wise, it's only because I had this, like, really firm belief at first that I should be doing this one particular type of project or this this these types of research questions. And um, I have realized that I do have moments of passion and uh, excitement and intrigue about what I'm studying now. And that's even though I didn't think it was the perfect project for me or like the perfect research niche originally, I have grown to develop a, a liking for it. I just know personally that there are some things about my work style um, that I could improve in my next round of research if I were to continue in academia, right, that would be more suited. So sometimes it's not even about the project, it's about the working style. I have at least two main things that I have to have in my job. And that is one is that I want to work directly with people. And the second is that I really enjoy writing. So I will always choose a work style or a project that involves those things um, in my future. And knowing that like, just because I have a research project that isn't quite fitting that 
um, that first piece of it as much as I want, I know that that I'm not locked in, right? If I wanted to stay in academia, I could definitely continue doing that and serving uh, people in a more direct way with like an intervention style research, right? So no, you're not locked in. That's long-winded, but you get it. And I think it's important too, because we think that we're locked in with our graduate school research and studies or in general. But I mean, granted, I've been very fortunate to have started my business because this has shown me up front in my face how true this is. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm very privileged to have that. But your your goal in your PhD isn't even necessarily to have this groundbreaking, life-shattering research question that's amazing because I think when you have undergrad mindset or early master's mindset you you think way too big with your research yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's small and almost meaningless and you're adding like a small trivial percent to a field and it's kind of depressing when you think about it because you're like oh, I'm literally doing this is like nothing but it's important to recognize that your goal of your PhD isn't even necessarily for you to do ground shattering research. You want to do good work and you want, you know, your goal is to create new knowledge and that's really hard. You're literally creating new knowledge. Um, but it's the skills and like the, the ability to be able to learn and be wrong and change your thought process and like mm -hmm. think constructively and critically. And that's the stuff that's really big. And I mean, you've guys heard me home and Hollis about Instagram. I'm like, gosh, just think critically, but it's a, it is a byproduct of education and being self-aware and knowing these things. But the, your PhD is to teach you how to be a PhD. It's teaching you how to think independently on yeah. your own to come up with, come up with uh, ways to solve problems and create solutions. And like, that's what science is, is you're just asking a question the universe hasn't answered. And like, you're figuring out how to solve that and create that knowledge. And that's a very hard thing to do, no matter how big or small your project is. But there's so much more that you got to find research that fulfills you, but you also, you're going to be challenged no matter what it is. And your goal is to grow and be an independent thinker. Um, and that's like a major central benefit of getting higher education is that like learning isn't about what the stuff you're learning about itself as much as you're learning how to think. And that's yeah. what makes you a good professional. And it's going to you're going to carry that into every career. And there's Cheeky Scientist as a PhD account I follow. And he's all about non-traditional careers outside of academia. And it's like as a PhD, you are a master of your field and your niche. And you have so many skills that you don't even think about that you've probably self-taught yourself throughout your mm -hmm. research. And like I watch myself. I know how to run a business because I know how to run a research project. That's how I run my business. I literally run it like a research project. But people don't, I mean, you don't see that firsthand, but there's so much that you're learning and gaining and benefiting that is, you can't, I mean, as much as the stipend stuck and sometimes the work environment sucks that you really only get. And it's a, it's a huge privilege to have at the end yeah. of the day, that education that teaches you how to do these things. I think so many people would benefit from just a mindset reframe of what the purpose of graduate school is or the purpose of their research is. Because I think that's where a lot of people get their feelings hurt or get like really upset about, you know, the feeling like they chose the wrong program or feeling like they chose the wrong advisor, or all of these things. Um, when a lot of the problem boils down to the fact that they thought they wanted to be doing this type of project and realizing that that wasn't going to work or that they were going to have to do something different for whatever reason. And I think it, that if you ha come from the perspective of like, I'm here to learn how to learn, I'm here to learn how to be an independent thinker who can develop projects on my own um, in multiple different ways. And you take that as like your, your goal instead of, I guess sometimes we just get so invested in the actual project of the thing um, that, yeah. we, that we want. And if we zoom out a little bit, it can be a little bit less uh, world shattering if it doesn't go exactly the way we want. 
And I think building on that too is like looking at anything that you suck at or as a weakness at in grad school because <laughs> newsflash, grad school is just finding out everything that you suck at over and over and over again yeah. and then being forced to face it and refine it. And looking and it does sting and it hurts and it, like it sucks, like your ego is bruised. But looking at all that stuff as opportunities of growth and development to become better because yeah. that's what you're there for at the end of the day. Like in recognizing that like if you have a good healthy advisor, they're there to help you and they're there like if you're committee and those people like your goal is to come out better the goal isn't to show up and be like oh this is easy and walk right out like the goal is to come out and be better so it will be hard the goal is just to find an environment mostly um and work environment work style that allows you to be healthy and happy as much as you can during that and just finding something that excites you enough that you can do those things in so it's not the pi and the work environment and work style probably have more to do with your happiness in grad school than the project itself and that same thing applies too. is recognizing that even when you're picking your advisor, you're not you're learning mainly and fundamentally from them. But you also will have additional members on your committee that are also experts in their field that are there to s- support you and help your learning and let you grow as well. So it's not like you're just on your own on an island doing some project that sucks with one person. You have actually a lot more say in cultivating projects that can excite you. I mean, granted, I was in a lab that had no money. So the, my PI was like, here's your parameters, figure out what we have for free, do what you want. And we got mm-hmm. a little bit of money. I'm being dramatic. But um, then I was able to create a committee around that because my niche is not my advisor's main niche. And I brought that into our lab. But I was able to find other professionals to also get mentorship from and learn from and take classes from and have relationships with that I can also learn and grow from. And at the end of the day, you're like, they challenge you. But you're like, okay, like I'm learning from some of the best in the field, like some of the smartest people in this area or experts at this one certain niche. Like, And that's really when you reframe it from like always being so demoralizing or hating it to like, okay, this is actually like, I have a, like, I have all of these other people that I can also get support from. And don't be afraid to also look for, um, academic and social support from people that are not beyond your PI. I think yeah. that's like some people forget that you can you can do that and you can have relationships with other professors or people that aren't your mentor. Um, because just like your like significant other can't be everything to you, your mentor can't be everything to you either. Yeah, and so think, having committee yeah. members that like can help also academically support you multiple, multiple avenues, but hopefully um, even like knowing that you can have relationships with other professionals or doctors or professors in your department, or sometimes you have relationships that are from across campus that you can go to for certain things is really helpful. So you're not as alone as you think in that. And so when it comes to picking co- your committee members on that, I know, Kate, you like really just picked yours just now. I kind of was given mine mm-hmm. right off the bat, um, but it made sense. I have a metabolism nutrition person. I have a muscle physiology person. I have a, another muscle fits person. One's invasive, one's non-invasive. And then I have Dr. Jenkins, which is like exercise yeah. and like that made it up my committee. So it makes sense central to my research interest. So I basically just took a bunch of people that had some sort of knowledge based in what I was researching so that it kind of made up the people yeah. that would help me make sure I was doing the best project that I can. But why don't you just literally did this and you picked your members? So I think you might be able to give more insight. Like Kate literally yes. emailed her people like two weeks ago. Fun, fun fact, I stole Alyssa's advisor. Um, just kidding. I didn't steal him. But, you know, I asked him to be on my committee. Um, so we're we're both working with Dr. Jenkins, which is great. Um, but yeah, I, t- I totally agree with your sentiment of like uh, pulling people from different areas. So my advisor um, is my primary uh, sleep person. So Dr. O'Connor is my main advisor. He's there to provide knowledge in that area. And then I have Dr. Jenkins now, Alyssa's advisor, and he is kind of taking the gauntlet on the performance testing side of things. And then my third advisor is going to be uh, Dr. Tom who works in cognition. And I have a background working with EEG, 
And I think that there's this belief in the um, athletic performance literature that cognition may play a role, especially when it comes to sleep on improving performance. So um, we are, of course, including some cognitive testing and Dr. Tom Baraski is there for that. So they serve um, from a knowledge base, different areas that kind of comes together for my full project, which is important. But secondly, they each provide um, different types of experiences that I think is important. I think in general, though, all three of them uh, fit together in a way that not only meets all of my research needs, but um, can help me as an individual seek out different types of mentorship, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No. My committee members, the one thing they have all in common is they're terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> terrifying, 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 terrifying. Yeah. But that, that because was, of that is a respect, And that was respect. my comps. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah, I know. It's a good yeah. – they're so smart. It's, it's right. terrifying. Yeah, but, but to, to just clarify for other other people listening, listening. like, it, yeah, you, you sometimes are terrified of your people because they're like legends in the field. Like, you have to – respect that i mean yeah, yeah but they're 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 there to make sure that your work is good they're there to catch yeah. things that you don't even know that you need to do and they're there to make you better at the end of the day so they're terrifying in a good way because they like it's like challenge kind of scary yeah. they it's it's they they they're there to challenge you make you think and they're not pointing out flaws in what you're doing because they're trying to make you feel like shit i mean some professors do they're horrible humans um <laughs> but the good humans in academia are there to challenge you to make you better. Yeah. So there's like when I took comps and there was gaps in something, there was only one area that I really struggled with. And it wasn't that hard. They weren't mean to me about it. We worked through it and they were like, okay, well, we would just want you to add this statement in your dissertation to show that you've like made sure you've reviewed this before mm-hmm. graduating. Mm-hmm. And they were there. They were like, okay, no, you're fine. You're good. Like everything else was great. But this one little thing, like just review it before you graduate again. Like that yes. was like they weren't they weren't pushing me to like break me. They were pushing me to like make sure that everything I needed to be a professional I will have. Yeah. And let's take this a step further because I think um, taking constructive criticism is a big part of graduate school. And I I think for a lot of people, um, getting negative feedback really stings and sucks and makes you feel terrible about yourself, especially when you have imposter syndrome. And this is the other thing that we could and we probably will spend an entire episode on because um, Alyssa and I have both dealt with imposter syndrome. Sometimes we still still deal with it. Um, and that can be especially difficult when you are trying to take constructive feedback because when your advisor or your committee member is coming of, from a place of like wanting to improve you, sometimes you can misinterpret that or you can uh, then take it and spin it and make it really negative and say, I wasn't good enough. I've never been good enough. And you come from that deep place of hurt instead of wanting to improve yourself. And that can be a big roadblock into you actually turning around that feedback in the in the way that's going to actually make you better. Because sometimes, you know, you get caught up in those thoughts and you don't make those changes. So And I think a huge transition for me was instead of like, I used to be afraid to get any sort of feedback to the point that I would avoid asking for it. But in grad school, Mm -hmm. that was a hard thing. In undergrad, you can avoid getting feedback. In grad school, you cannot avoid getting feedback. (laughs) You have to send shit to people and you're going to get the drafts back. But I think really reframing that mindset of like, you are there to, you have weaknesses. That's why you're pursuing that degree. You know what I mean? Like you can be smart and qualified and capable of being where you're at while also still needing to improve. Like you're, that's why you're getting your graduate degree Mm -hmm. or PhD. Like that's the point. Um, But the people that are giving that to you, they aren't there to bring you down. They're, they're working with you. So like when my advisor gives me my manuscript revisions back, like it stings a little because you're just like, oh God, it does. It make you're going to feel like shit. I think accepting the fact that you're going to feel like shit helps. Um, 
But knowing that like those things that you, they're writing with you, they're working with you, they're helping yeah. you be better at the things that you struggle at. And so like I struggled really, really, really bad with writing. And so that was so hard for me because it was so demoralizing anytime I gave anything. And now it's so much better because, I mean, I sat down with Dr. Jenkins about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago, and we just sat down and worked through. And and he was like, this is the one skill that we're going to spend the rest of your PhD making you better at. Mm Because I know for a fact, I'm a lot, I'm pretty good at like a lot of other things, but it's my academic writing is my biggest struggle. And I I had to, in that moment, kind of get over that like self-deprecating feeling around that and recognize that like, that doesn't mean I don't deserve to get my PhD. That doesn't mean Dr. Jenkins thinks I'm a bad student. That's just an area on which I'm going to have to lean into. And so Mm -hmm. with my mindset and personality, I sought out ways to write more often. So a lot of people don't know, I even started my Instagram and my master's as a way to practice writing every day because I actually was that bad at writing. Um, And so now publicly I'm being people are criticizing my writing every day on public but when it came to dr jenkins because i really respect him it was something that like i was like well i'm gonna apply for these grants so we could practice doing this and so i kept kind of just exposing myself to the thing that i sucked at and getting better at it but then keep getting feedback because eventually you do get you do get desensitized to it where you can recognize that you can read something and it's not like not being great at something doesn't mean you suck at it and it's not a personal attack like it's not it's not meant to be that way. Like they are there to help you. They're there to make you better. And they're there to challenge you to think at a level that you don't know how to think at yet. And that is uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean that you suck as a grad student. Like that, you have to separate those two thoughts from each other. Yeah. And I really want to emphasize that like you do the thing that you suck at, you know, and that's really, really important because avoidance behavior, like you know, deciding that you're not good at something or you don't like that, or you didn't like the feedback that you got and avoiding it does not make the problem go away. In fact, you're actually more likely to respond negatively to feedback in the future, and then you're less likely to seek um, behaviors to improve it. So go ahead. And as soon as you get your first feedback, when it when it stings, lean into that and say, okay, this stings probably because maybe it's true, or this stings because- Ooh. Right. I mean, it's that's, true. That's how I talk. That's what I tell myself. I'm like, yeah, right. well, you got this comment because you're not good at this. Right. And that's okay. Right. You're going to get better at it. For sure. And and if, you know, maybe that you're not quite ready to go there, there's an alternative is maybe this stings because I've already tried really hard and I thought that I had improved, but it doesn't seem like enough. Right. And that's where like it can really sting is like, oh, man, I've been trying, but it's still not enough. And this is where people really love to lean away and say, you know what, I tried and I and I didn't get better. So, you know, I'm going to throw my hands up in the air now. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to read a tweet I tweeted today, actually, because this is very fitting and hilarious. And this podcast is already over two two hours. So let it all out. Yeah. yeah. I tweeted today, which is hilarious because I was working on manuscript edits, which I avoided all the hard ones and Mm -hmm. made me feel bad about myself Mm -hmm. until the very end. So I work backwards on my manuscript. I read them all at first and I work backwards because it's less painful if you go backwards. If you're like (laughs) only focused on the one thing at a time. Like I read everything because sometimes they're like congruent to each other. But Mm -hmm. then I work uh, I work from like smallest out. You know what I mean? Like things that like don't hurt as much. Um, But then I tweeted today because I finished all the hard ones today that were just like they were all writing things Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. to be fair way better revisions than I've been suggested in the past yes Um, they were just challenging my sentence structure and the way I presented my data and things like that and I tweeted grad school is nothing more than a series of thinking you are dumb than realizing you get smarter by fixing your dumb your past (laughs) self dumber and current self with each or your past self is dumber and your current self is smarter with each moment equally inspiring and demoralizing eventually you make a sentence that's coherent that was my tweet this morning and it's so fucking fitting because it's literally like 
if you if you zoom out far enough, you literally watch yourself look at your old self and be like, yes. what the fuck were you yes. thinking and when you wrote that? But then you realize that you're smart enough to change it. Sometimes you just need to pause and think a second. And you're like, oh, fuck, I'm literally smarter than I was 30 seconds yeah. ago, which is cool. But then you're like, wow, I was really dumb 30 seconds ago. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just a vicious cycle of that. But For sure. Yeah. And, and that's the thing funny. is like, I wish I could comfort, like give everyone some comfort and say that like, oh, okay, well, once you get that feedback, the first time you work on it, you're just going to be completely better next time. And that's where you really have to lean into the truth and the the unsexy truth is like it takes time to get better and it's going to take you a lot of time and practice to improve those areas that you are not great at, you know? So um, I think this is important because this talks about – David Epstein talks about that in the book range since we were okay, talking about again, that earlier. another plug. Get it on Audible yeah, especially. <laughs> I, I have the quote up here. I try to pull it up. I think this is the one, but the, the, the theory is there. And it's like the more confident a learning it, a learner is of the wrong answer, the better the information sticks when they learn the right answer. Yes. And so I will say that in grad school, my actually like the things that I suck at the most or my biggest fuck ups are the fastest to correct. Because if I do yes. something like I started a sentence, I made an incomplete sentence in my manuscript that started with the word while. And Jenkins <laughs> is like, this is an incomplete sentence. You can't start a sentence with while. I'm like, I'm 27 years old and I don't even know how you can properly start a sentence. And I was like so embarrassed by that. But I was like, I literally made a note that when I go back and edit my proposal to make sure that I'm starting sentences correctly, because I was yeah, like, you I'm not going to be fine for the word while and you make sure. Yeah. And I'm like, like, I probably didn't even mean to do that. But I was like, fuck, I'm never going to do that ever again. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, there's little things that like, if you actually read your advisor stuff, you're like, oh, that fucking sucks. But like, you're almost more like quickly going to correct the thing you yeah. fuck up. The, the really knee jerk reactions are easier. Yeah, yeah, because because it's like, you're like, oh, I've learned my lesson. I'm never doing that again. Because you're honestly. And so like it, not that embarrassment is good or failure is good, but like making mistakes or not being great at things are actually really, really good learning opportunities. Yeah. And to the point that like, I will probably come out of my PhD way better of a writer because I struggle than if I came yeah. in like, I'm like an average writer and kept going through, you know what For I mean? Sure. Like, like struggle is opportunity to get better. And if you can look at it like that, and that's a, that, I mean, that applies to so many things in life. That's a yeah. big mind fuck for a lot of people, but looking at it and leaning into it and also recognizing that like, you're probably going to be so embarrassed by it that you'll probably fix it very quickly. Yeah, dude, let's normalize embarrassment in PhD because we feel it all the time. And and that's that can be different from imposter syndrome. Let me like make that distinction. Imposter syndrome is when you don't believe you're good enough for whatever thing, but you actually do have the smarts and you're really just telling yourself a big bold lie because you feel like everybody else is perfect and you're not. That's imposter syndrome. But we face embarrassment all the time and that's fine. Embarrassment is when you do something and you get feedback and you realize that what you did wasn't good or what you said was not the way that you intended to and somebody called you out on it. So like having embarrassment is a perfectly normal, fine thing to experience in your PhD. And you can definitely take from that and learn from that. So yeah, normalize embarrassment. It's fine. Everything's You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to feel guilty. You're going to feel shame. It's all stupid. Half of it's in your head. And then you get over it and you, you finish your, your things that you need to do and you realize it really wasn't that bad. And then you repeat the cycle weekly. And then apparently, eventually, they let you graduate. I think that's how it happens. <laughs> eventually, they let you out. Like They're like, okay, you've been shamed enough and you turn yes. in a piece of paper. All right. See you later. <laughs> like, yeah. how we call you doctor. So, anyway, one other thing I really do want to touch on though before we close the podcast is mental health. Um, and I I'm not going to make this a whole big thing right now because I have um, I have a lot of Coach Carmichael chats on mental health. Mental health is a really important topic to me. Um, and I think we're gonna we we're gonna do a full deep dive on imposter syndrome and comparison and the yeah. those kind of mind fucks of grad school because I think that deserves its own hour for sure. Yeah, I, and we definitely could talk on it for so long. Um, but so 
in terms of like your mental health, I just, I really want to emphasize that like a lot of graduate students have poor mental health. Um, so while it's like normal for you to not feel good while in graduate school, it doesn't mean that it's okay in terms of um, please don't ignore your mental health. Please go see a mental health professional if you are really, really struggling with um, especially some of those day-to-day things. Like if you start to feel like your day-to-day is overwhelming, um, I have, I've literally been in a situation where I didn't want to leave my bed for multiple days. Okay. If you feel that, please go get counseling therapy, go see a mental health professional. The, the way that my mindset has shifted and all of those things, um, although we talk about books all the time and that's really been important and insightful for me, the number one thing has been going to counseling and actually figuring out, um, you know, they help you do that reflective work that we have talked about is so important for knowing who you are and knowing what you need so that you're able to meet your needs because you cannot meet your needs if you don't know what they are. So please go to counseling. Please see um, somebody for that and It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. Like I said, it's really normal in graduate school to feel those things. Um, But if you aren't exploring them, you're not going to be able to make yourself feel better. So I think it's also important to recognize, too, where like we talk about these things and mental health is a real thing. Like I literally looked at my visor when I was crying my eyes out after comps because I had such a mind fuck of a hard spring with the pandemic and my imposter syndrome went wild because the pandemic was like a constant like, yes, it was like a constant reminder that everything like I you're, it was like the universe was like, haha, bitch, told you you weren't made for this. Fuck you. None of this is going to move forward. And it, I told my advisor, like, just looked and point in the blank. And I was like, I think I have actual anxiety now. Like I, you kind of have yeah. that like joking haha school related anxiety like oh I get stressed about tests but I can kind of turn it off type thing and I was like no I think I actually have legitimate anxiety and I communicated that with my Mm -hmm. advisor and I also like communicated with him afterwards that I was like I was not in a good place and he's like do you want me to leave the room or do you want to talk and I was like I I want to I need to talk I like I I told him that I like communicated my needs and I know not all advisors are really good about that I'm very fortunate but I was like can we talk about this because I was not in a good place and just like vetted it out and listened to me which is very again Dr. Jenkins must be preserved yeah. at all costs. Dr. Jenkins, if you listen to this, I have b- almost nothing but good things to say about you compared to horror stories my, I've heard out there. My master's advisor, Dr. Olson, because I definitely cried in his office too. So, <laughs> yeah, but the whole point I'm making at this is that the statistics for mental health issues in graduate students, I think, is like 40%, and I think it's 60% in women because yeah, of many other higher. multi-factor yeah. things. I think it's 40, I think, I haven't looked at it in a while, so those might be old stats, but it's something crazy. It's like 50% yeah. as a whole, but it is higher in women. So it's like, if you feel like it's just you, it is not just you. Like this is a, this is honestly a huge issue in academia. So everything we're saying today, you notice that we keep saying disclaimers because it's not the same for every person. Right. I know tons of groups experience microaggressions and different types of barriers in graduate school that make mental yes. health way worse. Um, but keep in mind that it's, you know, if you look around your graduate cohort, every other person there also probably struggles. I would say 100% yeah. are going to struggle at some point in time. Yeah. Honestly, 100%. Yeah. I don't think anyone gets to grad school scot-free without any struggle, but at least 50% of them are going to struggle at a point that it's almost clinically relevant. Like yes. that is a yeah. real thing. A-, a thousand percent. And so I also want to just encourage you that like um, if you are seeking mental health services and I know like financial um, things are a big barrier for people, especially in graduate school when you're not really making enough money and you're like, well, how am I supposed to afford help? Um, there's a couple of options. Uh, one is, is care within your own university. So a lot of universities offer um, free or reduced price counseling, um, especially if 
they are using graduate students that um, are in training. So you can maybe work with a graduate student um, who's still under the advisement of, you know, another licensed psychologist. So you can you can get help for um, a lot more affordable rates through your own university. And if you're looking outside of the university, um, then I would suggest you call places and ask if they have sliding scale payments, which mean that they um, they will set a rate based on your income. So that can be another way to help you receive um, that mental health service that you need. But yeah, it's you're you're not alone. It's really common, but that doesn't mean just because it's common that you shouldn't do anything about it. That you should just let it stay common. Um, I would love to see a, a future where graduate students aren't, um, you know, statistical anomalies in mental health. You know, so don't don't let that be you. Uh, get yourself the help that you need. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously, I never went to counseling in graduate school where I probably should have that first year and a year and a half. But for me, the biggest thing that was my largest mental health struggle, and I've talked about this in the past, and this will be the last thing we talk about, is that I had no friends or no social support. Yes. And so, like, my best advice, to be honest, above all these things in this podcast we talked about today, you can pick the best PI environment, everything. But if you like I had Regis and I love him with everything in my whole heart, but he cannot, your significant other cannot be everything for you all yeah. the time, especially when your significant other is also in graduate school because you both have your own shit. But yes. I needed, I needed friends. I needed more. I needed social support where Regis doesn't need as much of that just to, as a human to thrive. Um, and so that was a huge huge issue for me. So like things that I've done in the past year is I joined my CrossFit gym. I have a community. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and I'm friends with my coach. I found Kate along the way. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I have a couple other friends in my department and graduate students that I have found that I can like have healthy relationships and confide in and talk to. And like that yeah. has made such a difference for me. And then also, granted, my business does add more work to my plate. I'm not saying everyone needs to start a business, but having something else that you can find identity in that isn't yeah. my degree was also a huge thing for me. So obviously, I'm not anti-counseling or therapy by any means. I, I think that if you have that, you should go to it. I should have gone to it. You know what I mean? Like, I'd, yeah. by no point in time do I think that, like, me going through that alone was probably the best idea. Um but those are things that like when you talk about creating a healthy work-life balance, quote unquote, in graduate yeah. school, find social support and find outlets that aren't your PhD because you will lose yourself in your PhD. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of get for sure like, lost. Yeah. Taking care of your mental health does not have to be solely counseling. There's so many things that I do on a day-to-day -day basis to take care of my mental health. Um, like Alyssa said, is make sure I have social support and that I can talk to somebody when I need. Um, make sure that I'm exercising or eating or, you know, like doing those, those, some of those basic needs can really help your mental health. Reading self-development books um, when I have the time. So counseling isn't the only thing, but if you notice that it's it's really unmanageable and you really are not finding um, joy in the things that you used to find joy in, or you're so anxious that it really is preventing you from doing the work that you know that you can do, um, that's that's when the line has been crossed and that um, you should find some way to improve your mental health, um, probably through a mental health professional. Yes. Yeah. I completely agree. So this was the most long-winded podcast ever. We'll probably split it into two. Yeah, it's going to no be a two-parter. 
for sure. But you guys, I really, I mean, I know we ranted and rambled about our own experiences a lot in this, but I'm hoping that that because we have different stories and different experiences that you guys are able to resonate a little bit more with that, but actually see like hands on and maybe add a bit of humanness. Cause I know Kate, like when she gets stressed and busy, she just stops showing up on social media yeah. and like <laughs> you guys, I share a lot of my life on social media, but like I feel like I get a lot of projection of people thinking that these things aren't happening behind the scenes and I'm just not mm-hmm. on my stories when I'm crying in the shower. Sorry, that's weird. <laughs> like, I'm just like not like, you know, what I mean, like I'm not publicly documenting every struggle that yes. I have um, more for self-protection than it is hiding. You know what I mean? So like, keep in mind that these things are out there. Um, so we hope that like that kind of different experience to help, but also please seek out other resources please seek out something that isn't just how to get to grad school by two middle-class white blonde girls, like yes. her redhead, whatever, you know what I mean? Like there's, <laughs> there's so many different experiences out there. Um, this is just ours. We are not experts. We are still in our PhD. A lot of the questions that we didn't answer were from other PhD students, like asking us stuff that we're also not sure of ourselves, that yeah. it's unfair of us <laughs> to answer to you. Like, what do you want? How do you know what you, if you don't know what you want to do after like, bitch, I don't know either. Like, so yeah. there's other things that we can't answer for you because we are in your same shoes. But hopefully for those of you early on or just want to not feel as alone in this process, this podcast and two that are going to be now, we're helpful for you. Also, if you want to hear from other women that we've interviewed, Brittany and Rachel both spoke a little bit on their graduate school experiences. Um, So those are other resources for you in terms of like getting another perspective on a different experience because they are both out of their PhDs and they both chose non-tenure track um, uh, tracks. (laughs) They both chose uh, to pursue other types of careers. So if you want to hear what that looks like for both of them, uh, go check out their episodes. Uh, Brittany, uh, Doc Britfit and Rachel, Dr. Um, or the exercise doc on Instagram. Please go listen to those episodes. They're also just very good in general. Yes. Um, but with that being said, Kate and I wouldn't, it wouldn't be the messy middle if we didn't sign up with this or that grad school edition. So we're both going to play with each other on this, on this one. So we're going to take turns answering this. So we already know the questions. It's not a surprise. All right. TA or RA? Currently TA. RA all day, baby. <laughs> Writing mornings or at night? I think we all know I'm a morning coffee shop whore. Yeah, and I, I actually think I write better at night, so. Drunk or caffeinated? I think we were going to answer that. Not just if you want to be drunk oh, or <laughs> Writing drunk or caffeinated. Either one applies here, honestly. <laughs> I think I write better at night with a glass of wine than I do caffeinated, honestly. Because then I get I get too crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I just I thrive on caffeine. It's my go-go. <laughs> Let's go go-go. Procrastinating with exercising or cleaning. <laughs> I think Regis wishes it was more cleaning, but it's definitely exercise. <laughs> I I clean procrastinate more so. Like I do more house tasks, even though I definitely have procrastinated with exercise. I will say I stress purge my closet. That's a big thing I do. I literally I stress just did purge. That, actually. I stress purge. So yes. Okay, start a business or get a dog? Okay, you should know the answer. I got a dog and you started a business. <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to lie because Rocky won't shut up. I'm very happy with my decision here, everybody. Yeah, he's, <laughs> my, um, Except for, you know what? Ironically, my business doesn't shut up either. So who am I to kid anyone? <laughs> yeah, he's he's a needy puppy. Let's let's be real. It's a pandemic. Uh, we call him our pandemic pup. So, you know, you're especially needy when all you can see is your mom. <laughs> okay, um, just crying or screaming. Oh man, I—I I mean, I cry, but I honestly scream. I'm a no, big screamer. I was gonna I, say you can't even lie. You're a screamer. I'm, I'm a crier. screamer. I'm—I verbally like yell at Excel so much. It's like not even funny. So I'm yeah. a screamer. 
No, I'm I'm definitely a crier. I I own that hundred percent. Tears leak from me. It's fine. <laughs> Working at a coffee shop or an office? Coffee shop all the way. As we know, my my office doesn't have windows, so if that changes, then great. But honestly, I think I've officially converted to my office now. I was hard coffee well, shop. That's but- new. I don't know. I'm now I'm a, now an office girl, which is interesting because I literally wanted to do anything but be in my office for my first two years. But yeah. I think I just I've created one space where I can actually work and I've just accepted that my fate. Nice. Okay. Um, nine to five or non-traditional? Oh, we all know that I don't work traditionally at all. Yeah. Also same. Data collection or data analysis? Data collection. Screw analysis. I hate it so much with all of my being. You know what? Okay, I like collecting data, but I have finally think I figured out stats a lot better. That's one thing I struggled at. And I think I get excited now doing it. I think I enjoy it. Even if I understand what I'm doing, I'd still rather just be like doing the thing and working with the people than sitting and staring. Okay, data processing actually over everything. I love working on Excel, but just the analysis portion, like being in SPSS and like scrolling through all the charts to get the information you need. I'm like, not about it. It's no, I don't know. It's hard now. I think I did things. It depends on how burnt on I am on the one at the time. Fair (laughs) enough. Okay. This is my favorite. Alyssa, I'm giving her the credit for this one. Meetings that could have been an email or emails that should have been a meeting. Oh my God. Honestly, I think I, I get more frustrated with emails that like should have been a meeting like I, I mean if you meet and it's a waste of time I get annoyed because I'm like god I really would like this this time of my life back but then sometimes you're like wait wait a second this is an email because I'm going to delete this and I should have I, sh- I I needed more details on this so I think that might- oh I'm not uh, I'm the opposite because if I'm sitting in a meeting I'm upset with my my you know time quote-unquote being wasted but for me it's like all of the meetings are always, I feel like, planned at different times of the day. And so if I do have a schedule, it completely ruins it. And then it could have been an email. So I get way more pissed about that. I guess that's true. I mean, I do hate the waste meeting. of time. I hate the waste of time. I think I just hate that nothing is ever congruent in academia. Like they don't yeah. tell you details in person you need to know in person. And then everything you do in person is a waste of time. Like, <laughs> someone needs to sort this out. Like someone needs to figure this out. So oh, God bless. Anyway. I'm going to sign this off because before our actual sign off with a quote from the book Lab Girl by Hope Jaron, which I recommend any woman in science reads. It's an amazing book. It got me through my master's and reframed a lot of my thinking on a lot of stuff. And it talks about plants and outdoors, which I love. But it says, love and learning are similar and that they both can never be wasted. So I know grad school can seem stressful and there's a lot of negatives to it. But, you know, if you financially and personally can afford the years and money and time to do it, the knowledge you gain is never wasted. And I think that's important to remember. So... On that note, Kate, remember guys, we want you to live well, demand better, and and stay stay messy. messy.